ask you a question to begin the message this morning. How many of you yourself, not your kids, how many of you trick-or-treated this past week? Can I just see a show of hands? Go ahead, raise your hands. Church, man, this is family. I know some of you are like, I don't know. It's okay. It's okay. I, I'm not a costume guy. Are any of the guys in the room not a costume guy? Like, I just, it's just my personality. It's not that I think anything, I just can't pull it off. It's like dancing. Just don't even, no, don't go there. I wish I could. I've got a really good, close, close friend who lives in another city, and he is all up in it. He, he is all about the costume, and I think that's great. I, I do for him. Um, I just can't pull it off. How many of you, how many of you went trick-or-treating with your kids this year? Let me see a show of hands. How great is it, by the way, that in Texas, we don't even have to mess with fall. We just go straight to winter. We go from 99 to 28 like that. So let me ask, so how many of you went trick-or-treating with your kids? That's cool. That's awesome. How many of you sent your kids out and said, be careful, it's cold out there. I'm going to be here at home. <laughs> there, you, now, there you go. That's called delegation. I love to watch social media and to see how different people respond to Halloween and to trick-or-treating. I think it's a really interesting thing. And I do really think it's just kind of, it's an innate personality trait. Like you either do it or you don't. You're into it or you're not. Usually, as a general rule, I remember years and years ago when we were having some friends come over and their kids were going to trick-or-treat through our neighborhood with our kids. And Julie said, why don't you and Matt stay here and hand out candy at the door and we'll take the kids trick-or-treating? I said, I have never loved you more than I do in this moment right here. We had the greatest time just sitting there. And here's what was funny, too. For Matt and me, we were, it was Monday night. So we watched Monday night football and while the kids were trick-or-treating for about two hours, I think we said maybe five words to each other. Men, how many of you know that's the definition of a great friend? Like, our wives got back and like, so what did y'all talk about? They're like, nothing. Like, no, seriously, I mean, y'all, we were here for two hours. I go, there was a game on. We were watching the game. We didn't talk. It's like when Julie asked me, from, you know, like, what, what are you thinking? Nothing. And she goes, no, seriously. There, there's, and I'm like, no, I'm telling you, there's nothing. I'm not thinking about anything. And she goes, no, I'm serious. There's nothing going on. And I'll go, honey, there's nothing going on in my brain. If you, I mean, if you have to pick something, steak. I, that's, <laughs> I, I, that's, just, that's just how I roll. But on Halloween, I saw a kid dressed up this year for Halloween on social media that looked like he had just come from the Disney World Imagineering makeup studio. This guy, this kid was made up, he was dressed up like a pirate, and he looked exactly like Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, exactly like Captain Jack Sparrow. Unreal. And when I looked at him, and I saw this picture of this young little would-be pirate on Halloween 2019, I thought, that is the sermon this weekend. And you're going, yeah, okay. I promise you. Now, what's interesting about the pirate that I saw on social media for Halloween this year is that he obviously is not a pirate, but he was dressed up playing one. And I realized that there is a spiritual piracy issue that every single one of us gets to resolve in 
our lives. There is a spiritual piracy issue that we all have to confront. We all have to address in order to be the people God has called us to be. And it's the perfect segue into this next step that we've been in for the last few weeks as a church, this this Good to Go sermon series where we've really done kind of a deep dive on Jesus' great commission. You'll remember Matthew chapter 28 when he commissioned, he commanded his followers to go. Tell your neighbor right now with passion and enthusiasm, get your go on. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, when he said, make disciples, he meant tell them your story. Tell them the difference I've made in your life. Invite them into a relationship with Jesus. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. So it's, it's going and telling and teaching and obeying and living out this thing called the Christian faith. And throughout this series, we've been using the prism of a full circle faith. We've said that what this looks like for each of us individually, for us as a church to be good to go, is to actually be living out and firing on all cylinders a maturing, growing, developing, replicating faith in Christ. Here's what a full circle faith looks like. We've said that it starts for most of us when we attend either a worship service or we we go to a gathering of Christ people, Jesus people, Christians, and we move from attending and we make that decision to commit. We respond to his grace initiative and we commit our lives to him. We commit to a particular church family. And as a part of that commitment, we serve and we connect. We, We use our spiritual gifts that God endows us with at the moment of salvation, that second that we come into a relationship with him, and we discover our gifts, we employ them, we deploy them throughout the church and beyond to serve the purposes of God in and through the church. And by the way, we also connect with each other. We we do life together as followers of Christ. We've got this, this connection that is anchored in the cross of Jesus. And we also give financially of our resources, that that's a part of a full circle faith. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But then we bring it full circle when we begin to lead other people into that faith. When we start to multiply and replicate the faith that God has given us, and we see that happen in other people's lives, and friends of ours that we invite to church that we see get baptized, friends of ours that we communicate with and have a cup of coffee that leads to a strategic conversation that leads to their placing their faith and their trust in Jesus. And we see this happen over and over and over again. This is that full circle faith. But Jesus put a really, really fine point on the issue of this spiritual piracy, this this thing that happens in our lives as it relates to our faith and our stuff. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart. This heart, your, your soul, the core of who you are. So it's wherever your stuff, your possessions are, that's where your heart really and truly 
is. This is that, that treasure chest that, that Jesus is talking about that, that we get to examine and, and ask ourselves, am I really good to go? Where are you at? Are, are you really and truly living out this thing that God has called you to, that you have claimed you are all about? Now, let me say this very, very quickly right up front. Because if you're here today and you're checking things out, you're, you're kicking the spiritual tires, this does not apply to you. This is, you're exempt from this. This is for those of us who go by the name of Christian. Those of us who say, I am a follower of Jesus. Then Jesus said that living that out in a life of generosity just flows. That, that's just a part of what it means to follow Jesus. That, that it's there and we live it out on the reg. What's interesting, though, is how this statement of Jesus is another like it land when we read it. And usually it's totally dependent upon our backgrounds or our perspective on who God is. Because our perspective on who God is gets shaped very, very early for most of us. For, for most of us, there's there, there are some events, there are some people in our lives that help to shape our concept or our preconceived notion of who God is. And when we read God's commands to be generous, when we read God's commands to tithe, that greatly impacts how those commands live. Now, for some people, maybe you come out of a background that was more guilt-based than not, that, that people said that you know, they just taught you that you have to do what God says because he's going to get mad at you and he's going to send you to hell without an electric fan if you don't. And, and you've got that guilt-driven thing going on with God. And that, that's true for a lot of us, by the way. By the same token, there are those who maybe in a, in a response to the guilt, there's, there's that, that what I would call grace-only perspective where it's just... It's all love and forgiveness and grace and kumbaya and, and everything's cool. So, but then in the middle here is kind of where you've got the, a, a balanced, integrated, synthesized, biblical view of who God is. And, and there is the reality of his judgment. There is the reality that he will judge each and every one of us, that he will impose justice in this world and in our lives ultimately. He's not done that yet, fully and completely. But then there's also the fact of his grace and the fact that he is love. He is mercy and forgiveness and grace. And they exist in perfect harmony in God and in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I was very fortunate. I grew up in a church that, that taught a really healthy view of God. And in my earliest memories, I, I remember the pastor who baptized me when I was in elementary school. He was always smiling. He was very kind and gracious. I tell you, the, the first thing that I think of, though, I remember he always smelled good. He had a cologne on all the time. And I don't know what it was, I, but I just remember, oh, that's the pastor. Uh, you, could, you could feel him coming around the corner. I later found out that he wore that cologne kind of heavy because he and the minister of music were always down in the boiler room smoking cigarettes before church, kind of... <laughs> I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying that's, that was the reality that I grew up with. And he was a very kind man. I mean, very kind guy. I, I loved him. And then I found out later on that not only is God kind, but, but he also is about relationship, that he is 
love and that every relationship requires trust and faith and there has to be truth in that relationship. And so it was a more balanced view. And it was because of that balanced view that I taught, that I was taught, that I learned every part of who God is, is an expression of love. God is love. Whatever you believe about God, start with that. Start with the fact that he is love. He is good. And because he is love and he is good, he does tell the truth and he does love justice and he is judge at the same time. But if you understand that it is all good, then you understand that even when God gives us a command, that's an expression of grace. If you don't experience God's grace, when you see a command of God, you're going to automatically recoil. You're going to be like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. Even if the command is to have a nice day, you're going to be like, don't tell me what to do. That's just kind of that, that human nature, right? Well, when Jesus tells us that our treasure is where the desires of our heart really is, he's telling us to be careful because he understands our hearts. He understands our fears. He understands our need for approval, our need for accomplishment. And he's, he's telling us here, be careful. And to get at this, to, to put this into practice, which is really where it counts, we're going to go to a passage of scripture that I have never preached before today. I've, 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 I've seen this before, but I've never preached a message on this. It's in the book of Philemon. If you have your Bibles with you, or maybe you've got a phone that has the Bible on it, go to the book of Philemon, P-H-I-L-E-M-O-N. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the, to the believer, a, a man by the name of Philemon. Philemon is towards the end of the New Testament. It's after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's after Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Keep going. If you get to Hebrews, you went too far. Turn back around. Now, Philemon is a very, very small book. It's only got one chapter. So it's, you've only got verses there. It's kind of like, like mule shoe. If you blink going through Philemon, you'll miss it. So Philemon, verse 6. The Apostle Paul writes this to Onesimus. He says this to Philemon about Onesimus. He says, I am praying that you will put into action... The generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Paul says, here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that you will put into action as you understand and as you experience all of the good things that we have in Christ. I'm praying that you will put into action that which comes from your faith. He's saying, I want you to be generous. Generous, not just financially, but inclusive of that because you're generous of spirit. You're generous of heart because you have a, a mindset that is not rooted in scarcity but because you have, you have a mindset that believes in enough. You have an abundance mindset. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. If you've got an abundance mindset, then generosity is a layup. If you've got a scarcity mindset and a kind of a zero-sum approach to life in general, 
then, then you're going you're gonna to guard, you're going to hoard, you're going to protect instead of providing, instead of allowing, instead of receiving to be a blessing. You're going to tighten up. And Paul tells us, that's not what I want for you. I want you to experience the fullness of an abundant mindset and heart set to put into action generosity that comes from your faith. So how do we do that? If, if this idea of giving really and truly is a part of a full circle faith, then, then how, do we, how do we put that into action? Do what Paul says. He says, that, and I think it's important that, that we understand this begins, this begins when we act. Number one, say act. 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 Tell your neighbor right now with passion and enthusiasm, get your act together. Your act. That, that means that you do what you believe. He says, I pray that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. Now, the Bible talks about three levels of active generosity. There, there are three levels. And just very, very quickly, it starts at a foundational, elementary school, basic, rudimentary level called obedience giving. Obedience giving, generosity. Obedience generosity starts with the tithe. The tithe is, is where real generosity begins. Look at what the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3. Now in Malachi 3, God is speaking to the nation of Israel, his chosen people, through the prophet Malachi. And this is what he says. He says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. So God says this is the baseline for a follower of Jesus is to begin with obedience giving. The tithe, 10%. So let's just say hypothetically that this year you make $100 for the whole year. We have some benevolence funds. We'll help you with it, but I'm just making a point here. $100, that means that $10, the tithe is 10%, goes to the work of God in the local church. He says it here in Malachi 3. I also put up there Matthew 23, 23 as a reference. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus confronts the Pharisees. And here's what's interesting. Whenever you see a command or a, an order, most of us, I think our human nature is to recoil from that. We're like, ugh. But, but Jesus here endorses the tithe. And he tells the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23, he goes, you guys are so legalistic. You tithe down to the grain of your spices, your, your, your dill, your cumin, he said, yes, you should tithe, but you should also not neglect the more important things like mercy and justice and compassion. It's, it's both and. But you see, when you live with a scarcity mindset rather than an abundance mindset, you get legalistic. 
When you live with a scarcity mindset, you begin to view the world as a zero-sum game. Like, like, there's a, like, like somehow or another, there's a pie. And if I give 10% of what I have to the church or to God or whatever you want to call it, then that 10% is gone. I mean, it's just gone. As if God doesn't have everything already. As if, as if your 10%, God goes, man, well, that's gone. I don't know what we're going to do now. Now we've only got 90 left to deal with. God has it all. I'm going to get to that in just a second. But it's, it's an abundance mindset that says God can do whatever he wants to do. And he has chosen to entrust me with this $100 for the whole year. And so I'm going to trust him that that 90 is enough. And I'm going to bring the whole tithe. Because I believe in Christ, because Christ endorsed the tithe, and because it works. Here's the other thing that happens when we tithe together. It binds the community together. We, we look around and we're like, we're in it to win it. I, I'm, I'm with you. I got you back. We're better together. We're stronger together. and We can do more together than we can separately. And, and that's why God is so brilliant in instituting, in commanding the tithe. That's why Jesus endorsed it, because it's not just about us. It's also what happens in us collectively, together. So the first level of giving is obedience giving. The second level of giving is grace giving. Grace giving. This is where you get entrepreneurial in your giving. So some of us are kind of entrepreneurial in business, and we're, we're looking for ways to create businesses and organizations to make money, and we can go do this and do that, and that's cool. That's a gift if God's given that to you. But grace giving, grace giving is when God has given you the spiritual gift of generosity, the spiritual gift of giving that you can't explain just because you're a nice person. Look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, the Bible says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. So if you've got the spiritual gift of giving, if you're kind of entrepreneurial in your generosity, man, feed that fire. And here's the thing. You'll know if you have that gift because you enjoy it. You love it. It's so fascinating to me. The people after a sermon on giving and tithing, the, the folks that will be like, man, that was awesome. I love that sermon. They walk and they're like, I'm just, I'm ready to go. I'm encouraged. I'm fired up. Almost without fail, that usually means they've got the spiritual gift of giving. As opposed to those other people like, no sermon. Just, uh. <laughs> those people who, who have that spiritual gift, when, we, when they figured out where we were on the circle in this series... They're like, man, this is awesome. Others of you are like, I maybe could slip out before the sermon starts. That's, that's okay. If, just because you don't have the spiritual gift of generosity or giving, that doesn't mean that God won't bless you when you give. I don't have the spiritual gift of mercy. I don't. I, it doesn't, I, I, I try to be merciful. I try to have compassion. I'm just usually really tired afterwards. Just, it just, that's not my gift. That's okay. That's okay. I tell myself, that's okay. I thought that was funnier than y'all did, but <laughs> that's all right. Grace giving, entrepreneurial giving. If you have the gift, 
I remember early, early in the life of Lake Hills Church, there were about 45 people coming to church here. And I had breakfast with a guy that I had just met. We had moved to town about the same time. We had mutual friends. They heard that we were starting a church. We go to breakfast. And he had just started this new business and company. He was traveling a lot. And, and he, he, we sat down to breakfast one day. And early in our relationship, he said, Mac, he goes, man, I, I got to tell you something. He goes, I am just swamped. He goes, I'm traveling all the time right now as we get this company up off the ground. And I'm not going to be able to be around and, and help as much, you know, hands-on with the church. All I can do is give financially. And I just went, well, <laughs> that's all you can do. I guess that's all you can do. <laughs> and it's become a standing joke since then. They've, they've moved away, and we've remained very, very close friends. But, but there, there's something that happens when you have the spiritual gift of generosity. Th those are the people who, they, they, they race to pay the check in a restaurant. If you're at a, if you're at a meal together, like, boom as opposed to like the slow pay artist, you know? Here, let me get the check. Oh, you already got, okay, thanks. That person doesn't have the spiritual gift of generosity. I have never, in my 53 years, I have never, ever met someone who is truly genuinely generous who's not radically joyful. And I don't mean fake joy. You know, I'm not talking like a, I mean real joy. They just, they just get it. There's a joy that comes. When you give the perfect gift to your husband or wife or your kids or a friend and you watch them light up, Remember the story that we talked about a few weeks ago with Jesus when he fed the 5,000? Remember the, the, the disciples said, all we have are five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them here. And Jesus took the fish from them and Jesus gave thanks. Now think about that for a second. Think about giving something to God that causes him to give thanks. Is that cool? When you give from a generous heart, there's something inside that just, when you have the gift of giving, the gift of generosity, man, it feeds the fire. And you get entrepreneurial. You start looking for other ways to be generous, other avenues. That's why the book of Proverbs says, a man who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. If you refresh other people, if you are generous, if you're a blessing to other people, God's going to make sure that you're blessed in order to bless other people. Now, our blessings do not necessarily include financial blessings. Please hear me say that. I'm not telling you, you give God $100, he'll give it back to you tenfold, pressed down, shaken up, stirred over. No. That is a lie from the pit of hell. But God will bless you. He says, test me, try me. He, he, has, he has so many tools at his disposal with which to bless us. This this. Grace giving starts to get fun. The third level of giving, the third level of giving, we start out at the baseline, minimum, elementary school tithing. We move up to grace giving and, and, and stepping into that giftedness. But the PhD, the advanced level of giving is sacrificial giving, is sacrificial. And, and sacrificial giving is where you kind of you step off of the side of the cliff. 
It's like, I've done the obedience thing. I've done the grace thing. I had my gift. I did it. But man, this, this is going to cost. I'm, I'm going to feel this. I preached this sermon years ago when we were still in the high school. And, and I challenged the church to give something away. Not, not a dollar amount, but to give something away that really meant something to them. And as I was preparing to preach this sermon, and I said, I'm going I'm to challenge them. I'm going to say, do it. Go. I heard a little Holy Spirit voice in the back of my head said, what are you going to give away? And I said, that's not the point. <laughs> and I heard the voice, what are you going to give away? I started th- thinking about, you know, maybe some clothes that I didn't wear anymore. And at the time, I thought about a, a, a fishing reel, a fly reel that I had. And I still remember having this conversation with God. It was silent, but it was a conversation. And I remember I went and got the fly reel out of my closet, and I picked it up, and I was like, it, that, this, is, this is a nice fly reel. Fly reel that can withstand salt water. The fly fishing industry is a racket. I mean, it, it's, it's expensive stuff. You Don't start. But I was looking at that fly reel, and I thought, there, there's a guy in our church, he's in our high school ministry, and he, he loves to fish. I'm going I'm to give him the fly reel. You would have thought I had handed him a squillion dollars. This was a fly reel as a high schooler he never would have bought for himself. Now he's out of college. I'm thinking he could return the favor. But he, he never would have bought this fly reel for himself. If, if you're new here, I'm kidding. That's a joke. But I gave him this fly reel. And he knew it was a nice fly reel. He's like, Mr. Richard, I, I can't take this. I go, no, you, you have to. I preached about it Sunday. You have to take the fly reel. It's God's will. He's like, okay. But you would have thought, I mean, he lit up. And in that moment, I remember feeling something so overwhelming. The fact that it brought so much joy to him. Guess who got the better end of that deal? It, it wasn't the guy who got the fly reel. It was the guy who gave the fly reel. Sacrificial giving is fun. It's, it's fun. Now, I, I know some of you are thinking, yeah, you go have your fun, big boy. But, but King David, a man after God's own heart, really shows us what this looks like. And sacrificial giving is, is the giving of the realist. Sacrificial giving means that you're a realist. Here, here's, here's what I mean by that. King David was commanded to go build an altar to make a sacrifice to God. And he was commanded to buy the land on which he would build this altar. And the land at the moment belonged to a guy by the name of Aruna. Aruna the Jebusite, the Bible says. And so David goes to him and says, I need to buy the threshing floor that you own, where, they, where you process the wheat, because I'm going to build an altar to God there and offer a sacrifice. And look at what happens. 
2 Samuel chapter 24. This is what Aruna says. He says, take it, my lord the king, and use it as you wish. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. But the king replied to Aruna, no, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. David said, I'm not going to give something to God, something that doesn't cost me. I'm not going to give God the, the old clothes that I don't wear anymore. And say, look, I, I made a sacrifice. No, David said, I'm going I'm to feel this. I, I insist on making a sacrificial offering to God. And the reason that I say sacrificial giving is realist giving is because of Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. Psalm chapter 24 says, the earth is God's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So that threshing floor, that, that belonged to God ultimately. Now I know some, some people kind of rear back at that like, whoa, 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 whoa. I work hard for my money, Jack, Mac. I, I, don't, don't tell me it's all, I, and I understand that. And that's great if you do. That's super. But let's go back to the beginning of your life. The beginning, most of us get here with pretty much nothing, right? Anybody here born not naked? Just asking. So we, we get here with nothing, and at the end of our lives, the reality is, Nobody leaves here with a U-Haul. It doesn't matter what you've got right now. It doesn't matter how fabulously successful you've been in business. At a certain level, when you leave here, you go out the same way you came in. I will go out the same way I came in. But it's in that in-between time that God, for some reason, chooses to let us take care of some of his stuff. Now, if you've been fabulously successful professionally, that's awesome. Who gave you the ability to be fabulously successful professionally? Surely none of us is so arrogant as to say that we are truly a self-made man or woman. God has given you the ability to think, to earn. It's great if you're successful, but just remember where your success comes from. And when you start to remember that, and you live out of that reality, then you, you remember it's all God's. That's the reality. It's, it's all his. And so he's just, he's just entrusted me with, with some of it. And so I'm going to use it to bless other people. I'm, I'm going to use it to provide for my family. And I'm going to use it to move his mission forward. And, and here's what Paul was getting at with Philemon. Paul said, my prayer for you is that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. Generosity comes from God. None of us is born generous. We're not. I, we, we are all born the center of our own universe, aren't we? 
I mean, that's part of the job of parents is to disavow, to disabuse us of that notion that we're the center of the universe. We're, we're born with that innate drive towards self. But, but generosity, true generosity, comes from the heart of God. God, whatever you believe about God, begin with the fact that he is love, he is good, and he is generous. And, and so we, we put into action the generosity that comes from our faith, full circle faith. We, we put it into action, and as we put it into action, what did he say in Philemon? Then, then we start to understand as we experience all of the good things that we have in Christ Jesus. But, but we don't understand or experience them until we put them into action. That's a spiritual principle that transcends every subject you want to think of. You want to understand God? Put into practice. You want to experience the goodness of God? Put it into practice. Put it into action. Do the work and watch God do the miracle. That's how he operates. That's how he rolls in relationship with him as collaborators. We understand and we experience as we do, which is why Jesus said in the Great Commission, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Everything. Don't, don't pick and choose. I'll do that one, but not this one. But engage in this full circle faith in every way and watch God show up. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And I want to ask you, if you would, to not be moving or stirring around. Because in this moment, I want to ask everyone to take a step with me. I want you to take a step from the conversation that we've just had about a facet of faith and step into the spiritual reality that that facet of faith represents. And what I mean by that is this. When you understand that generosity flows out of our faith, you understand that it is a result of a relationship with God. It's not how we get to God. It's not how we earn God's approval or God's love or God's favor. It is a result of the fact of God's love and God's generosity, his generosity to us. The Bible says that this is how God loves the world, that he gave, that he gave his son Jesus so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life. That we would be present with him 
in eternity, but also present with him and in relationship with him right here, right now. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, we want to invite you to do that, to respond to God's grace initiative. Just by dialoguing with God, connecting with him, And so if you want to begin that, then just pray right where you're sitting. Silently just talk to God and share with him your heart. Something like this, just in your own words, say silently right where you're sitting, just say, Jesus, I need you. I know that I need forgiveness and grace and truth. And I believe that you are all those things. Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that you know my heart, but I acknowledge it. I confess my sin so that I can claim your forgiveness. I can accept it and receive it as the free gift that it is and I will follow you with every part of my life. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. I wanna ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for another moment. But if that was your prayer, then this is the biggest moment of your life. And as a church, as a family of faith, we'd love to help with what comes next because it is just the beginning. And so, so that we can help you, number one, if you would just take out the program that you got when you came in, just right where you are quietly, just take it out and begin filling out that connect card that's right inside the fold there. Just says connect card up at the top. It's a place for your name and contact information. And just below the contact information, there's a place for you to indicate there, I committed my life to Christ this week. And if you'll just complete that card and then tear it off along the fold where it's perforated. And when we dismiss in just a couple of minutes, if you would just hand that card to one of our ushers or hosts or maybe one of the folks out by the hub underneath the big front porch. That card is there so that, like I said, we can help with what's next. That's our privilege, that's our responsibility as a church. Because this is just the beginning. And as our heads are bowed for just another moment, I wanna ask those of you who just prayed that prayer, if you would just raise your hand, just Hold your hand up high in the air for a second. Stamping this moment both in your life and the life of this church. Because for us, there is nothing more important than that. You can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. <laughs>